Welcome to the Deacon and the Doctor. I'm Deacon Bill. And I'm Dr. Rhonda. And I am a, an ordained deacon in the Catholic Church. Well, I'm a doctor of education. And the idea of the podcast is we're going to invite you to pull a chair up to the kitchen table and we're going to talk about real events. What's relevant? Yeah, and you might not agree with us or we might not agree with each other, but we're still going to have the conversation because, you know, it's hard. It's hard out here. And this is the deacon. And the doctor. Hey folks, uh, this is Deacon Bill here. Just a quick disclaimer. Know that the views expressed on Deacon and the Doctor are strictly Rhonda's and mine. They don't now, represent I can speak for myself. My views. <laughs> they don't represent the views of the Catholic Church or any church within the Catholic Church, right? And they definitely don't represent any education, no institution or uh, entity. Just my views. And the other thing that we'd love is we'd love to hear your views. And so you can reach us uh, on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, find us at Deacon underscore Doctor. Yes, Deacon underscore Doctor. And follow us and give us some likes on the things that we post that you find interesting or comment if you have something that you'd like to add. And we will be gladly discussing it on our future episodes. Thanks. Good morning, Dr. Rhonda. Hey, good morning, Beacon Bill. Hey, we need to talk about your girl Cher and her uh, tweets here over George Floyd's murder. You know what I think? Yes, I did. And you know what I think she's saying now? If I could turn back time, because (laughs) she needs to turn back time. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is the problem of, you know, you get to be a celebrity, you're used to... um, people just saying yes to you all the time, right? And so you think you can do things that you can't really do. Well, you know, I I think that it was her showing, I could, she was trying to show concern and compassion, but it just came out as, you know, white woman trying to save poor black people. And instead of- Like it hurts me so much that they're killing black people in the streets. Like, oh, I just, what, what can I do, right? The angst. The no, pain. like you know, and, and then it's like, oh, if I were there, maybe I could have saved him. Well, lady, a whole lot of people were there already that didn't save him, including right. police officers and other people. So, you know that that's where that white savior. Right, because I'm white and rich, I could have fixed everything. Yeah, and in essence, you know, like there been there were some follow-on articles written. That, you know, kind of had a list of 10 things and said, hey, you know, if you want to help, maybe instead of saying, oh, poor, poor, you know, this poor black people were hurt. I I could come in. I could have done. How about being active and do something without commenting or or making statements that could potentially um, do more harm than good? Yeah, so in other words, instead of focusing on what already happened, you know, uh, focus on what's happening today, right? You know, police uh, doing things wrong didn't stop with George Floyd. We know that. There are things ongoing. And as we always say, right, we got to get involved. We got to make our voice heard now and more than just talking about what went wrong in the past. And it's, it goes beyond that. Like, I think, you know, we we always say, like, we as a family, you and I say, you know, what can we do to help 
like make make the world a little bit better. So in this instance, you know, there are a lot of people, I think, that because George, we were in, we are still in the pandemic, but, you know, we were all pretty much locked down. And when May 25th of 2020 happened, um, the world, the world was able to see it and see it in its rawness. And I think people are still working towards coming to terms with, with something that I know as a, as a black person, I've known, Hey, this exists. This yeah. is, this is, this is the black, black person's reality. Um, whether I've been impacted by racism or others have been impacted by racism, I think people of color, you know, there's a different line, no matter what your, what your socioeconomics are, you know, rich people are impacted by it. And I, I've, you know, there have been many stories, but to have someone come in and say, well, you know, I could, if I had been there, I, I, I would, maybe I would have been able to stop it. Like, yeah. Were you going to go to the eight police officers keeping the rest of the crowd? Like that's the only way you were stopping it. Right. You know, it, it wasn't one person killed George Floyd. But many other people, many other police officers were culpable in that murder. Yeah, you know, I thought it was um, quite, quite interesting this week where the um, police chief, you know, took the stands in, in the trial and, you know, said that the actions were above and beyond what needed to take right. place. Yeah, the, those are actions that we're taught in military confrontations you know if, if for some reason you've your weapon is not working you don't have your weapon and you have to go hand it those are military tactics that he was using in a police environment with you know a suspect who was already handcuffed and not responsive and he still was doing that which is uh, it's just it's insane to me that not just one person but all of those other police officers were just okay with that. And then the the other part of the trial that stood out to me is one of the first responders, uh, you know, one of the, the EMTs, she testified that when she arrived, she went to go help. And the police officers restrained her and said, no, he doesn't need any help right now. She's like, he's dying. Let me go do my job. And and she was told by another police officer, you know, if you were a real uh, responder, you would be accepted, you know, or you would approve what we're doing or something. I don't remember the exact language, but it right. was stupid. Yeah. And, and I guess that's where, you know, now we, we're hearing about police reform and things that are that are, you know, moving forward and and the state of Maryland, we have some police reform initiatives that have just been um, voted into law by our legislature, our state legislature. Yep. So what do you, what do you think about? So I, I think anytime you have more transparency in a government unit, which the police is, right? I think that's a good thing. The, the governor was actually against, so, you know, for those who don't know, Maryland is typically a blue state, and the legislator right now is is very blue. But um, our governor but is governor's okay. Republican, right? Republican governor, which is rare for Maryland. Uh, but uh, Larry Hogan has had this reputation of doing a pretty good job of of getting 
uh, Democrats and Republicans to agree on these, but not on this particular issue, right? Um, so I think a number of the measures are good, specifically having some um, additional civilian non-police oversight of police actions. I always say, you know, if, if you're in charge of policing yourself, and, you know, we saw this in the church, obviously, years ago. If, if you're in charge of policing yourself, you tend to give yourself pretty good marks. And, and that's not a good thing. You know, for right. full transparency, you've got to have somebody outside really evaluating what your procedures are. And, and I think I think that, that that's the, the the good part of this law for me is that that exactly that we have some transparency. It's not just the police force controlling and and overseeing like you know their their internal investigations that are all police officers you know aren't the overseers of matters any anymore with the this um legislation so i i I think that that you know makes it not the police patrolling the police and it gives us the ability to kind of see what's what's really going on and the other thing that I like is that um, body cameras are are going to be required. Yep. So, so, you know, it's not going to be, well, you know, they were doing this and we, we, would, we would be able to see exactly what's what's happening. Yes. If a person's escalated and they're, you know, they're not doing what they're, they've been asked to do and the police uses force, then we could see, you know, if there's a guidebook that says, you should use your taser before you draw a firearm and you know that taser's not used you're you're in you know violation of your rules and regulations that govern police because there needs to be some governance on police officers yeah i've always stated that i think reform is necessary but i'm i'm going to go back to investment is necessary right i i think that a lot of what we've seen is a direct result of cutting manpower, cutting training, cutting resources to this group. And so when I hear people talk about defunding the police, again, I think that that is a naive reaction to, to what we've seen. Um, I still believe that the function of a police officer is necessary in society uh, to protect the citizens in that society, but, but the police force has to be accountable for their actions in doing that. And, and to your point, there should be an escalation cycle. I think though, what's short-sighted is saying, well, these are bad police officers. So they're overreacting to situations. Well, why do human beings overreact to situations? They're afraid too, right? I mean, we always, you know, just like we've talked about with teachers, we we imagine that they have these powers to just educate and and be, um, you know, these counselors and, and friends to, right. to, to our children. Right. Yeah, we remember. think the same thing of police officers, that they can just do these magical things, but they're human beings. They, yeah. You know. And I, I think that, you know, it goes back to your point about, you know, the military tactics being used. How what what percentage of our police force? are, you know, their ex-military right. uh, police officers. They they worked on, on the base as security and security forces, and now they've transitioned out into the civilian sector as police officers. So they have that training that is that is just that, training to be used 
in wartime. So, you know, kind of re-educating or retraining, you know, in some ways and showing that, hey, this is something that you you learn, but this is how we're going to do things here. And and, and to your point, we do need to have um, that reform and, and have training available because police officers aren't you know, as I used to joke about in teaching, we, we're, we're not behavioral specialists. And right. in, in most cases, police officers, you know, if, I, if I'm a kid that joined the police force at 18, 19 years old, I don't really have a lot of life experiences to. Right. And, and, it, and it used to be that police departments were resourced and the model was you had two officers on patrol a seasoned, experienced officer who was familiar with that neighborhood, with the people in the neighborhood, and somebody just coming up brand new. And they would learn from that seasoned professional. That was the model. Well, just that, like hope, in our hope, schools, you know, our model was a teacher had 15 students in the classroom. Now well, our teachers have 35. And uh, now we put that 18-year-old kid making 30 grand a year. He or she is alone on a patrol trying to figure things out. Yeah, and that's a disservice. And I mean, we we know and understand that that there's an there's an issue, a a large scale issue. And my my question that I have is, will this issue that's you know determined jurisdiction by jurisdiction end up having us be in the same situation that we're in? You know, like we have some state laws that are coming down that are changing things. But if, if I'm a jurisdiction that doesn't have a lot of funding, then is the state going to pay? And I didn't read into the bill to see, but is the state going to send send some monies? I would assume if the state if it's a state law and a requirement that the state would then support, you know, some of the but, but history says history says no, right? Yeah, when when we have to do tax cuts right Mm -hmm. we look at police we look at schools you know and what do both organizations traditionally do they try to handle the reduction through attrition which means our seasoned experienced professionals go out the door and we fill that void with fresh recruits right teachers right out of college and and police officers who just have to have a high school diploma for the most part again a lot of them do have college degrees. I'm just saying it's not a requirement in most police departments. It, you know. And then we fill it with people who are inexperienced and learning. And who do they learn from? Because we just pushed out all the experience. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, I think, the ongoing problem with many professions um, in that, you know, the seasoned the, people kind of leave. And you don't have that institutional knowledge that you need. But in, in this case, like, as I think about it with police reform, if we are, if we're transitioning into, um, like, somebody that has that mentality that this is the way things are, that's a veteran, maybe it's not a bad thing to have those veterans transition out. And, and that's where the accountability has to come in, right? If if that person wasn't held accountable, you know, we say this all the time, 10% of every organization sucks, right? I don't care what the organization is. I don't care what you do. 10% of it is low achieving (laughs) at at whatever your standard is. So to your point, yeah, that individual should have been identified 
and corrected or removed, the, the poor performer should have been identified and removed from the organization at some earlier point in their career. Yes, completely agree. And that's where the accountability has to come in. And that's where, you know, look, I'm all for having unions sticking up for employees, but it has to be more reasonable, I think. And it, it has to be, you know, like, I, I think this Derek Chauvin thing, going back to that, it is probably the first example I've seen where the police union is not backing you know, the person that's up. on trial. Right. Because yeah. normally that's what we see, no matter what the officer did, no matter how heinous the action, the police union is like, oh, well, he has right. We're going to. But this one, they're like, yeah, we, we don't really got nothing about right. this guy. Because the whole the whole world is watching. Right. So I, yeah. th- I think the, the, the fact that the whole world is. Watching. Well, at, but the other union members are also stepping up and going, no, you're not using my union you know, to re- union dues and, and resources for this. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's that I think is, you know, the strength of the union is is one thing. But, you know, in, in this case, I mean, at some point you dues paying members have to step up and say, hey, no, this is not acceptable. I'm not behind this. Whereas in other cases, it was looked at as, oh, well, it's going to protect me in the long haul. So I'm going to, you know, just ride with it. So, right. And again, I'm, get involved. Right. Whatever organization you are, whatever you get involved. Yes. And if you know. we if we we need to do that. And um, I guess that that's a great segue into um, another topic that we that I saw, which was the um, rights of the religious private religious gatherings. The Supreme Court recently ruled on on that. It's a California case. And, you know, they they were people were limited to no more than three households gathering for private religious gatherings. So as a deacon, what do you think about this ruling? So first and foremost, I know you and I both agree um, this, this pandemic, I know we're, we're starting to get vaccinated and all of that. We're, we're doing better with all of that. Pandemic is still out there. Um, but to tell me that I can have 50 people in a bar that's the size of a matchbox or 500 people in a big box store, but still, you know, that many people. And I've got a church as big as the box store, but I'm only allowed to have 10 people in there because, you know, it's more important that somebody does a home remodel project than glorify their God through worship. I have a big issue with that. And, you know, what we've seen is individual states like California you know, ignore earlier rulings that say, no, you know, if the church has met the requirements the same way these other private organizations have, then people are allowed to gather within those same requirements, right? Treat everybody the same. Don't single out one organization to say, yeah, everybody else can do this, but you church, you can't do anything. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And so the, the, the people that are um, kind of responding to this are saying, well, you know, we shouldn't be in, like the Supreme Court shouldn't be making a rule, ruling on this. It should be, you know, like and the Supreme Court typically says that secular and religious items, you know, and, and unless they specifically target that religious organization 
and and the the law has something specific they they kind of try to steer clear of it but in this case you know the the parties that brought the the lawsuit the Supreme Court decided yes there there's some um level of scrutiny that needs to be dispelled because this this is not neutral this is not something that's neutral so if the the items were neutral and as you said if it had been presented as hey you know the bars and the churches can do the same thing and we're treating everybody the same right Supreme that's, Court never rules on it yep and and that's that's the difference right the Supreme Court isn't saying you have to do something extra for the church. You know, I, I was in a mass yesterday and um, the, the particular church that I was in uh, was beginning to fill uh, above what their stated capacity was. And the, the priest that I was serving with, he looked at me and said, yeah, they'll come and make a big deal about this. But across the street, we were looking at you know, a, a grocery store and it was packed like way over what it should have been. And he's like, do you see anybody over there saying anything? Nope. But they'll come over here and, and make a big deal. So again, it's just treat everybody the same. That uh, That's what I took from the Supreme court ruling. Um, you can't single out, you, you know, the church isn't a business per se, but the church um, kind of is a business. But it is it, it is an ability, you know, like if you're telling me like, man, you know, people need to get their alcohol. You can't just expect people to not drink for nine but months during the pandemic. People need but to we can their... expect them not to worship for nine months during the pandemic. Yeah. And I think that that impacts people. You know, we, I think we've we've shared this before, like just not being able to be in that social setting, seeing the people that you're used to seeing, because if, if I'm a single person living alone, Maybe that church gathering, that church worship place is my place that gives me the strength to carry on through the week. You know, so I think we got to be um, cognizant of that, you know. So Absolutely. so transitioning to yet another topic, uh, you spent Monday, this past Monday oh, at beautiful. the Masters. and It was beautiful. Yeah, I got down to Augusta National. Thanks to your mother. Shout out to Mary Camp. Uh, Love you, mom. Um, yeah, got to go to Augusta National. This was a huge bucket list item for me. Um, and because of the pandemic, reduced uh, capacity. So there's probably about one fourth the size of the crowd that would normally have been there, which, again, just provided me a little bit more access, a little bit more breathing room to, you know, I don't like huge crowds, right? I'm, I'm okay in crowds. But I don't like people pressing in on me like that. And I didn't have to deal with any of that, which was great. Um, got to soak in Amen Corner, which for golf nerds, you know, is, you know, that's just one of the big marquee uh, holes and, and sequence of holes in all of golf. Um, so, yeah, just had a lot of fun, you know, rolling around your hometown, right? They're, they're in Augusta, Georgia, near, near your hometown. Yeah. So let me ask you this, you know, like there was on the radio talk show radio show yesterday they're talking about how the masters still haven't caved to the um like the media and they're wanting to cover full time because i guess i didn't i didn't know this until yesterday but like the the coverage doesn't start until like 3 p.m yeah so i think with the masters they um they have their own 
they've done their own thing for quite a while. So right? what allows them to do their own thing where other entities have to kind of cave? That big money that's down there in Edgar. I, I think it's it's the money, right? You know, it's it's the um the other organizations, so like the US Open, um, you know, like that organization, the, the PGA, that organization, they want the TV money. Whereas Augusta National is the, the group, you know, like that group that puts on the Masters, that, that club, they've got stupid money. And they're like, no, we don't need your money. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll take what we want. You know, right. we don't mind well, getting the, some the, of it. Like they were saying that when they start, when they do the 3 p.m. start, you miss a lot of the leaders. And so in the coverage, leaders, they the, go out first. Yeah, the leaders will tee off like at 2.30. You can get some coverage now, though. Um, you just stream it. Like CBS won't start airing it until then. Mm-hmm. But again, for us golf nerds, like um, we could have started streaming like the same way we watch, um, like a lot of the high schools do this now, where they just have a camera streaming a game, so especially does, during does the pandemic. Does the national stream that then? It it's on. I think Augusta National owns the website. Oh, is my okay. Assumption. So there's a website that's associated. Uh, so look, the other thing that I found interesting with your visit to Augusta National is that you couldn't bring in a cell phone. No. I know I was going nuts. Look, anybody who knows me, look, I I used to make fun of people who had to have their cell phones with them. I am totally that guy now. <laughs> it's embarrassing, but that's me. And um, so I was going a little stir crazy, right? Like not being able to, to see messages or get phone calls. Or I, I did feel a little disconnected <laughs> from the rest of the world. But yeah, that's one of their rules. And then on Thursday, like, so I was there for a practice round. But if you go during the actual tournament play Thursday through Sunday, you can't have a camera of any but sort. But you could, could you have a camera on Monday? Monday, I could oh, okay. have. okay, so you could have had a camera, one. but you can't have, I thought you were saying that you couldn't have anything that had a camera. I, I, when I read the rules on the website, that's what I originally understood. But then when I got there, they were like, no, today you could have had a camera. Just not, you can't have your cell phone with a camera, you know, like that, that feature. But you could like people, like I saw one dude, I hadn't seen one of these in 20 years. You remember those little Kodak disposable? He had that. I wonder where he's. He, had, he was trying to take selfies with Where's he getting that developed at? They must have been selling that in the little uh, store there. I, I don't know. But, you know, like me, um, I never was big on pictures on anything. Like, I know it's easier now with the cell. Um, but even back in the day when I would go I travel. I know, I you know, know. You build the memories in your like, head. That's right. Enjoy. Be in well, the moment. Be- being a, don't be all let, focused on, oh, I got to Let, let this, me just share this that. with the audience. You know what? <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes how these picturesque memories are in your head when I ask you to get pick up something <laughs> at the grocery store and you can't remember for five minutes. So I'm, I'm a little suspect <laughs> on that one. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't in that moment. I was in those other moments. Oh, okay. I get it now. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we've been, we've been at this... Uh, for our time for this week. So um, thank you to our listeners out there. 
Thank you all very much. You uh, make it all happen. Uh, all the folks out there, we appreciate you giving us some time. All right, Dr. Rhonda, and I will talk to you all later. All right, Deacon Bill. Have a great week. All right, bye. bye.